Hello and welcome back again behind the bar of a pint of Cthulhu. Today we have the creator of Abaddon the Thirteen Seals by Andy. Andy, would you like to say uh, hello to everyone? Hi, um, I'm Andy. <laughs> I'm from uh, Lost Haven Art, is the other name that we usually go by. Fair enough. Cap, if you'd like to kick us off with the first question. Excellent. So, mate, you're in a bar, you walk up, order your drink, and you're ordering a pint of Cthulhu. What, <laughs> what is that bartender putting in that pint? Uh, a pint of Cthulhu? Um, probably a lot of rum. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it's a genuine alcohol question, a lot of rum. It could be anything you want. It's just one of those throw-out random questions we make up. Um, yeah, so... Um, you're being Scottish and need to have some iron brew in there. <laughs> Rum and iron brew, come on, man. <laughs> I suppose that's that's frightening enough. That'll be fucking good. <laughs> that would be that would be Eldritch horror in a glass. Yeah. I might have to try that now. I used to actually mix iron brew with Morgan's. It is really sweet. Mm. Bizarre. Yeah, but it'd be like with drinking Morgan's. syrup. <laughs> it's basically it's basically like drinking alcoholic syrup. Yeah. That sounds horrifyingly bad. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. No. <laughs> so, Andy, tell us a little bit to start off with uh, about your game, what you're creating. Um, so, yeah, Abaddon is a dark fantasy game. Um, it's inspired by video games like the, the, the Diablo series and Darkest Dungeon. Um, so it takes place in a dark, grim world. There's demons rising from the depths. Um, but what makes it a little bit different from other role-playing games is that you use a deck of playing cards instead of dice for all of the resolution mechanic. Excellent, and we're talking like a proper, like, hearts, diamonds, or you got your own deck of playing cards? Um, any, any deck of playing cards will work for it. Um, there's four archetypes in the game and each of them are associated with one of the suits, so they get bonuses and stuff like that if they're using cards from their own suit to, to do actions. Excellent. Reminds me a little bit about Malifaux, if you've ever played that before, the little miniatures I've, game. I've dabbled with Malifaux. <laughs> so, what kind of inspired you to start creating this game, anyway? Um, playing card. I wanted to make a game of playing cards. Uh, I was in holiday. Um, we had a deck of cards, I was playing around with them, and I just started to come up with some ways that you could probably use cards in place of dice for certain games. And then it just sort of spiralled from from there. Um, I like dark fantasy, so that seemed like a, a natural fit to build a game from. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Excellent, so just... Um... Playing a bit of dark fantasy yourself. Had yep. a pack of playing cards one time and decided that, hey, these would go well together. Yeah, I can mix these together. Yep. Um, Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about the story of Abaddon then. Uh, so, it shamelessly rips off Diablo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, in, in the world of Abaddon, there's a whole prophecy about the rising of the demon Abaddon, who's the demon of destruction. Um, certain things have started to happen in the world that co-align with with the prophecy. 
Um, and so players will expect to encounter unnatural, supernatural things starting to happen in the world that sh their characters should be able to deal with. Um, I don't like to add too much story or fluff when I'm designing games or homebrew stuff because I like the players and the GM to be able to sort of build off the basic building blocks. Oh yeah, and don't tell us too much either. We don't want spoilers here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's going to be multiple demon lords. Um, the players will fight them as boss battles, boss fights at the end of like story arcs or chapters in the campaign. Uh, but the, the final fight will be against Abaddon, who's the, the big bad. Alright, so it's just the build-up to a boss fight? Yeah, big build-up um, to a boss fight. You can, like, I've, I've been running a test game, so I've been including role-playing sections, just, you know, to make it feel a little bit more like you would run a campaign instead of just, like, sometimes when I play test things, I'll do, like, basic scenarios or, like, just flat-out combat. But for the, the playtests that I've been doing over the last few months, uh, I've been running it the same way that I would run a campaign. So I've been giving the players the opportunity to interact with NPCs and roleplay amongst each other. Um, but most of the mechanics, like in a lot of roleplaying games, are focused on combat. Excellent. Yeah, well that uh, leads into the next one quite uh, well, because we're going to ask you about characters characters and NPCs. Okay. So what what would we expect from the sort of characters that um, you're, you're, you're designing? Okay, so there are four archetypes, like I've said. Um, one of them is an elementalist. They're a spellcaster. They use all four elements. Uh, each archetype has a skill tree. Or multiple skill trees. They've all got four skill trees. You can mix and match skills from those skill trees so you can build your character any way that you really want within the archetype. Um, so there's a lot of customization. So the elementalist uses things like fire, magic, water and ice, air and electricity and earth magic to do stuff. Um, there's the faithful, which kind of fits into your cleric paladin type character, where like, they, they worship the, the gods of light, they can use light magic, they're really good warriors in combat. Um, they've got a tree called Martyrdom, where the more damage they take, the more badass that they become, essentially. <laughs> and hmm. That's the sort of frontline combat character archetype. Um, oh, yeah, a handy skill for a tank, yeah. Yep. Um, there's the Hexing, who are they, they're also spellcasters, but they use darker magic, like necromancy and blood sorcery, um, curses, they can manipulate fate, so they've got a, 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 an ability tree that's all about manipulating the deck of cards to be more in their favour. Um, they're the only class that can really do that. Um, and then the last one is the Stalker, who is like a, a mixture of like a ranger and assassin or rogue. So they, they use shadow magic. Um, they're really good with ranged weapons. They can use traps. 
Um, but they have a fourth set of skills, which is the Lycanthropy tree, which is for melee combat, which allows them to bolster their strength, do more damage, um, heal like each round and stuff like that, which they kind of tap into an, an inner beast as a sort of theme behind that particular skill tree. Um, so all the classes all have like what you'd maybe expect in a dark fantasy game. Um, they kind of mix multiple archetypes from games like D&D and stuff like that together into like a more broader set of skills. Um, yeah, so it should be stuff that people uh, people will be familiar with if they're familiar with any other yeah, tabletop yeah. RPGs. Yeah, or like video games and stuff like that as well. Like the elementalists can throw fireballs and stuff like that around like you'd expect. Um, <laughs> But can't be a good fire. Yeah, they've all got some flavour that sort of grounds them in that the dark fantasy sort of setting and aesthetic of the game. Excellent. So, talking about all these different archetypes, how have you gone about designing and like balancing each one compared to the other? Through lots and lots of playtesting. So, I'm very much a throw everything at the wall when I start designing a project. And see what sticks. Uh, and then, yeah, see what sticks. And I do it when I'm doing art projects as well, where I'll just kind of scribble stuff and see what looks good. Um, but, like, for game design, yeah, I'll, I'll throw all my ideas down onto paper, then I'll get some friends or whatever together to start playtesting it, and then they'll tell me what's working for them, what isn't, and then I'll... Like after every play se- uh, playtest session, so we we playtest every every two weeks on a Saturday. Um, so I'll be doing a playtest after we do the, the this interview, um, and I usually spend about an hour or something after we we play and we chat, just kind of rewriting things or adding stuff in. Um, so it's very much uh, we're we're balancing as we go along. Uh, sort of deal um, but initially I start with what sounds cool and then we see what actually works and the people that you're playing with at the moment and playtesting with are those the those the people you're creating it with uh, well they're they're very much just playtesting um, the, the thing I'm not going to say is solo um, because I have brought in some help here and there I've got a friend of mine Derek who's editing everything for me as we go along um and so i mostly do art stuff i like to design games i've been playing tabletop role-playing games for 23 24 years (laughs) at this point um and so i have i have a pretty solid grasp of like mechanics and stuff to work from but when it comes to writing, not my strongest suit, uh, and so I've I've brought in some some help from some people to like maybe spice up some of the monster descriptions or um, reword uh, some of the mechanics and stuff that I've written down so they they read better. Um, uh, but about ninety percent of everything is is solo. Excellent. That kind of ties into what I was going to ask you next, and that was just in regards to the challenges that you faced um, while bringing this all together. 
so you're saying stuff like um, get people in to help with your your monster designs, a bit of the writing and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Have you had much um, much trouble, much reason for going back to the drawing board or rewrites that kind of thing. Um, so when I first put the game together, I had combat sort of planned out like D and D, so it was all grid based, and you. Uh, you can move so many squares or whatever and around and uh, that sort of thing. Um, and then when I started playtesting, some of the playtesters who I've been gaming with for a long time went, you don't normally normally run games with uh, battle maps and grids, so why? <laughs> and I just I kind of went back to the drawing board and redesigned combat to be a lot more theater of the mind friendly um there are positions that you can choose a character to be in each round in combat but it's not quite the moving individual squares uh, measuring everything out sort of tactical combat that you might get uh, in like pathfinder or D&D or some other games like lancer and things like that um the inspiration for that kind of came from the One Ring role-playing game, uh, which is a, a favourite of mine, and it it was something that initially was bothering me because combat takes forever, and while combat is a focus of the game, I like combat and role-playing games to be quite fast. Um, and so changing from an intricate, intricate grid-based combat system to something a little bit more narrative and free-flowing uh, definitely speeds it up and it definitely feels better to me as a, a GM, but it might not be everybody's cup of tea. So you're saying about how you've been playtesting and tweaking things as it goes. When you playtest, what exactly do you look for during the gameplay? I mean, how how has it affected development? I mean, you've said you've changed it from a basic grid-based system to what you've got now, but what other kind of things do you look for when you are playtesting? Um, so, I look for, in terms of like some of the abilities and things that the characters can do, if I feel that they they either slow things down, um, or they don't quite work as intended, or the players don't feel that they work as intended, or don't feel that they contribute much, how the character plays, uh, then I've been pretty ruthless for either changing them entirely or cutting them completely from the game. Uh, during the week I, I redid all of my skill trees for every archetype and at least two or three skills from every skill tree got completely wiped from the, the game <laughs> because oh, wow. they, didn't, they weren't adding anything to combat and they didn't feel special enough to either me or the players to really bother including them. Um, so yeah, things like that. Uh, I do the same thing with like monsters or there's mechanics for randomly pulling together a dungeon using the deck of cards of your GM. Uh, and so yeah, I've been looking for things like that that maybe slow things down or could be tweaked a little bit to feel better for the player or or the GM um, so it's all about keeping the game fast paced because it's this is inspired by the Diablo games in Darkest Dungeon where the action kind of needs to keep going forward 
It's been a while since I've played a Diablo game, but I remember yeah, them so being like, awful fast-paced. Yeah, Diablo games are Diablo one. games are fast-paced. Um, so I want the game to kind of reflect that. With like combat should be quick. Um, nothing should really slow the players or the GM down too much, unless you get a total party kill, like I did the last playtest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, it's it's keeping it feeling like the action is going forward and so anything that doesn't really add to that or doesn't help with that are things that I'm kind of looking to trim off. So what kind of thing have you found like I mean you've said about the challenging of the writing but what kind of thing have you found like that's rewarding with what you've been doing so far? What kind of what's been keeping you going on this? Um so yeah a few things um so when playtesting um, you know, some when you, you GM a game, and sometimes you kind of come away from the table, and you and the players are just like that was like one of the best sessions or whatever we've we've ever had of a game. Like everybody feels that it was a great, good time. Um, so when that happens during a playtest, that obviously encourages me to keep going with it. People were seem to be enjoying it. Um, I've let a few people who aren't part of the playtest see the sort of work-in-progress document for the game. Uh, and from the feedback that they've gave me, they, they really want to try the game out because it's a bit different, um, which is encouraging. Um, said, mostly an artist, so I spend a lot of time working on the visual sort of side of stuff. Um, which seems to attract a lot of people. <laughs> Mm, your Twitch streams, for one. I've, I've managed to catch one yeah. of them. Your artwork is incredible. Um, so, yeah, having people appreciate the art, uh, appreciate the actual gameplay, appreciate what's there, in theory, on paper. <laughs> uh, just, like, I like having that input from other people, and that kind of keeps me going with stuff. Um, I've, I've tried to work in projects before uh, where trying to get people to engage with it hasn't really worked and it just kind of kills the motivation because obviously if you're making a, a tabletop role-playing game you're making it for other people to play so if no one feels interested in it then it, it sort of kills the mood um, so the fact that I've had quite a few people being interested in the game of this is the third interview that I've actually done about Abaddon at this point. Yeah. Um, all, all of that sort of stuff. The idea that people seem to genuinely be interested in what's there uh, is enough to kind of keep me keep me going with it. Oh, well, speaking of that, um, making the stories keep people interested, that kind of thing, um, what would you say you would recommend for resources and that? Like, for example, if you were talking to someone like myself, just trying to put together a story for his friends, is there anything that you would say that you use that you're that you would find useful? Um, like for for GMing in general. Um, just for GMing, but for just putting together the story. Say, like when it comes to GMing, I tend to play pretty loose, so um, I. I really feel that um, over-planning things 
can take all the fun out of it, not just from you, but for everybody. Um, so you, you kind of have to be aware of who your audience is. Um, so if you're playing with a group of if you're designing a campaign or whatever for a group of friends, you have to really think about what kind of players they are, what they like in a game. Um, and don't over like I, I tend to start things with like a, a basic starting point, some things in the middle that I can throw in at any point. They don't have a set place in the timeline or anything like that. And roughly how I plan on finishing things at the end. Uh, and then I just kind of... I'm, I'm very flexible with going with the flow, going with what feels right at the time. Um, Aye, so no planning, play it by ear. I get you. Yep, pretty much. Um, like, I was doing an actual play for about a year... Uh, over in a friend's Twitch channel uh, for Legends of the Five Rings, um, and my my friend he runs like multiple D and D sessions and things like that on his channel. Spends hours every week planning them, and I sent him my notes one time for the the Legends of the Five Rings campaign. It was literally like three sentences. <laughs> <laughs> And he I, was think like, maybe, I think for me, I'd probably be more on your uh, on your friends page there when I'm putting together stuff, stories, maps, battle maps, all that sort of stuff. I'm thinking of everyone and everyone involved and where they're going to be. Definitely, I'm, I'm in the over planning stage. Over planning, and like if that works for you and you enjoy it, that's like I'm. There's no wrong way I think of doing it. Well, there probably is wrong ways of doing it, but um, I don't necessarily think. Over planning is wrong. Uh, it's just you need, like you said, you're considering everybody involved. As long as you're doing that, I think you're you're good. Oh, I know. Willingness to be flexible, definitely. If you <laughs> and yeah, and don't don't get to- the amount of times we derailed stories. But like, I could say the same for like designing a game. Like the ideas that you might have at the start um, will definitely change. Um, when you get to like playtesting and things like that, things will come up that you suddenly go, oh, that mechanic that I thought was really fun, everybody else hates it. <laughs> I'm going to get rid of it. <laughs> um, and yeah, you just you kind of have to like be willing to, to go with that, take the criticism if there is any, uh, reflect on your own sort of working. Um, I get take the criticism. I'm not taking any criticism. What's that? Um, <laughs> oh, you'll get it anyway, Cap. You know you will. You get used to it after a while. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying about the Lord of the Rings game you're playing. What other like tabletops have you played? And I mean, do you have a favourite? Um, I've played. I've played a lot of tabletop playing games. Um. I'll give you a top three, that's probably easier than a, sing- a single favourite. Um, so The One Ring is one of my favourite role-playing games. I'm a big token fan. Uh, the One Ring does a really, really good job of capturing the feeling of like The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit books. Um, and the mechanics are really straightforward. Um, as I said, like took inspiration with combat. 
where there's four different possessions in combat in, in the one ring um, and the players are kind of encouraged to move around during combat to, to get access to different abilities and things like that. Um, so for that one it's a mixture of it does a really good job of delivering on the setting that it's supposed to do and the mechanics are really nice to work with. Um, Another favourite game of mine is a, is a Japanese role-playing game called Ryutama. Um, and there's a big emphasis in Ryutama about it's all about the journey that the characters are taking. Uh, so combat, again, really simplified. Uh, but there's a collaborative storytelling element where um, the players kind of pre-plan their journey with the storyteller or GM. Uh, and they can like decide on like they're heading to a new town, so they can decide elements of what that town may have, what it might be called, the sort of people that they might encounter there. And then as a GM you're kinda using that information to build the journey in between uh, with stuff that the players seem like they're interested in based on the, what, how they've answered the questions about where, whereas their characters are actually wanting to end up. Third favourite game is probably the Fantasy Age, it was the Dragon Age system. Um, it's a little bit closer to like D&D uh, or Pathfinder, um, but it has it uses 3d6 for dice rolling and it has a stunt mechanic. Um, so you, when you, you do actions in combat, cast spells and other stuff like that, one of the dice is you call your stunt dice. Whatever number that dice is sort of landed on that gives you stunt points which lets you do extra things in combat. Like you can empower spells or like knock your opponent down or push them back or make a second attack and things like that. Mm, nice, nice. That's Dragon Age, you say? Yeah, our Fantasy Age, the second edition for that just came out recently. I've not picked that up yet. But... Well, I'm a big fan of those video games. I may be looking that one up. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I totally understand the way the... Researching the one ring. Yeah, the, the different dice system really interests me as well because I've currently been trying to put together a Fallout campaign. Spoilers? Uh, well, it depends on when you release this. <laughs> Good point. So I've been trying to put together a Fallout one, and it uses the two D twenty version of the the yep. the dice mechanics. And putting that together has been it's been interesting to to look into. Um, speaking of which, I want to get back to your game a second with the playing cards. I'd quite like to get a better idea what you're what you're doing there. So can you give us sort of an example in regards to what would happen in combat? How you would use a playing card? Okay. Um, yeah. So there's a few things to take into consideration. Uh, in combat um, so like the standard amount of cards that players will get given if they're unskilled in anything is two um, when it comes to basic attacks uh, your weapon is actually what determines a lot of, of things uh, and weapons have an accuracy rating uh, for every plus in the accuracy rating that they have it will give the the player an extra card to draw. And in general, the target number you're you're trying to look to make uh, is a 13, which is actually where the 13 seals part of the game title comes from. So if you can make a... F so, say... 
a character had a sword or something like that with plus two accuracy on it, they would, they would get four cards for combat. Or for making their, their attack with that weapon. I've just drawn four cards here. So I have a five, an ace, a six, and a seven. So six and a seven uh, makes a 13. So the player could play those. Uh, that would be a success. Uh, in this case, both of the cards are a club. Uh, so if you were the stalker archetype, uh, their associated suit is a club. Uh, so their attack would actually do a little bit more damage because both cards I've used to make the 13 are clubs. But say for example the other two cards weren't a, a 5 and an ace, say one of those was a king. Uh, so I could play the 6 and 7, that's one attack. I could play the king which is a 13 and I could do a second attack. Um, so the cards that you get given, you can make multiple actions if you're able to. And there's there's other factors, so like uh, when it comes to the skills or abilities, um, they, they go in ranks from 1 to 5. So the rank gives you extra cards, uh, but it also lets you adjust that target number. So instead of, so if you've got rank 1 in a skill, instead of looking for just a 13, uh, you'd be looking for a 12, 13, or a 14. And if you had three ranks in it, then you'd be looking for a 10 all the way up to 16, uh, which gives you a much bigger range, makes you more likely to hit, also potentially allows you to take more than one action in your in, your, in combat. All right, so you're talking um, any action that's taken, the difficulty is set, and that depends on what the action is. Um, the amount of cards you draw determine what's, what the success is, depending on the numbers that are on the cards. Yep. And th the amount of cards that you draw is dependent on your both skill and rank. Yeah. Excellent. Um, that sounds like a very good system. It's going to be interesting. There's multiple degrees of success. So, like as I said, you can make the target number with any card that you've got in your hand. And that would be a regular success if it's a... If the cards that you're playing for that action all match your archetype suit has a higher uh, degree of success, so more damage, longer effect, whatever. If all the cards match your suit and one of them happens to be a face card, so a jack, queen or a king, then they also have additional effects over and above. And as I said, you can combo, so if you've got five cards in your hand and your target number is like 11 to like 15, for example, and you can you can make those numbers three times of the cards that you're in hand, then you can make three actions during your turn in combat. The other side of that, so the, the GM in Abaddon doesn't really draw cards at any point. Uh, monsters work very differently. Monsters have certain abilities that they can do, and it's up to the player characters to avoid them. Uh, so player characters get a number of reactions each round, again based off equipment or some of their abilities. And again, that works the same way, they get a certain amount of cards uh, any time that they're forced to react to a monster. Um, and that's just any turn that they take, it'll be like, sort of, um, they'll have a certain amount of minor actions and a certain amount of, like, combat actions that they can use. Yeah, monsters, yeah. yeah. So. 
Is there a way a player could run out of cards? Um, it's single deck. Uh, we're going to be playing with every player having their own deck. Um, but essentially, once all the cards in the deck are done, you the, the GM should just reshuffle the deck and keep going. Uh, we've never actually reached the point in any playtest where we've ran out of all the cards in the deck, but I imagine at higher experience levels, um, when characters are maybe drawing... So at the moment, most of the characters are drawing, I think, four cards. Five, maybe, I think was the highest that anybody drew for a single action so far. But I think at higher levels, when... Uh, Every character is maybe drawing that every action or of every round, then yeah, you're going to burn through the cards pretty quickly and the deck will have to get reshuffled. But it's, it's easy enough to do. Like Once they've played the cards, they go into a discard pile. Any cards that don't get used or can't be used, they get put in the discard pile. So at uh, the end of a round or whenever the cards run out, the GM should be able to just take the discard pile, reshuffle it. And dish out the cards to the players again if combat hasn't been resolved yet. And the, the card get, deck gets reshuffled at the end of every round of combat anyway. Huh. How long is uh, your game like run for? If you're playing an individual session, because you were saying you haven't yet had anyone go through the entire deck, what would be the average time of a game? Um, so... When we've been playtesting, uh, we'd normally start about half seven, eight o'clock, uh, and we play until about eleven. Um, so, oh wow, so three, three and a half hours per session, um, which I think now is about the average for a role playing session. I remember when I was like a teenager, and it used to be about eight hours. <laughs> Of um, <laughs> back before responsibilities. Yeah, yeah eh? back before being an adult. Um, but yeah, about three or four hours. I, I would recommend per per session. Um, and a campaign is maybe going to take you. I don't know. Uh, we've had like six or seven sessions at this point. Uh, and I've only just threw the first boss encounter at them. Um, but um, you probably speed that up a little bit. Um, probably have like five or six sessions before getting to a boss fight. Uh, and then you're probably going to have four or five bosses in a campaign. So, fairly, I think that ends up being pretty short for a tabletop game. Um, and you do have that mm. final. Like a lot of tabletop games can go for for loads of sessions. Um, <laughs> D and D. Yeah, but I think if you've got that final boss to deal with, um, and the game will get progressively harder, <laughs> um, there, there's a definite endpoint. All right, excellent. So now that we know what your game is, how you play it, all that sort of stuff, and the fact that you're going to be going back to the drawing board for all your boss fights now. Um, what do, what can we expect from you in the future? Um, so, I'm planning on doing a Kickstarter for Abaddon in September. And before then, uh, I'm going to be at two conventions in the UK. Uh, the UK Games Expo in 
at the start of June, so about four weeks. Uh, I won't be running Abaddon at that, uh, I'm just going to be there flogging artwork and other stuff. Um, <laughs> but Tabletop Scotland is at the end of August, uh, and on the Friday night at Tabletop Scotland they are having role-playing game sessions, uh, and I've been given one of the spots to, to run my game for a group of randoms. Excellent. Um, Whereabouts in Scotland is that? Yeah. Uh, Perth. In Perth? Yep. I was say, Cap, get in there, you're up in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Scotland's bigger than you think, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot. I think it's a two and a half hour drive for me to get to Perth. Um, oh, wow. Uh, but yeah, um, Friday night, Tabletop Scotland, role playing game sessions. There's going to be other role playing game sessions over the weekend, but like. Um, none of the fenders and stuff are going to be there and are going to be working on the Friday so it's the only time that I'll be able to actually run a game um, the rest of the weekend I'll be at my table uh, setting art prints and uh, trying to flog Abaddon to people because it's the weekend before the Kickstarter starts <laughs> for other things um, if this goes well uh a lot of my inspiration for games to design come from video games. So I'm a big fan of like Final Fantasy games, like JRPG games. I'm uh, a culture. Yep. Uh, so I I have I started working on a game inspired by yeah, like Final Fantasy and like Chrono Trigger and all that sort of stuff, uh, which mm. was supposed to like Abaddon was supposed to be a quick rose light easy game for me to pull together. And, that, and, it and then it evolved. Uh, so I've sidelined that project for uh, uh, longer than I'd planned to. Um, but if Avadon goes well, then I'll hopefully be doing um, playtest and then a kickstart for that other game project uh, down mm. the line as well. Well, you've mentioned the Kickstarter. What kind of goals are you looking to have? Um stretch goals um, <laughs> let me bring up the kickstarter page because I can't remember off the top of my head I did pull together some stretch goal stuff uh, so uh, the rewards that I've got are what you'd kind of expect um, there'll be a early early bird ones for the PDF copies and the, the physical book, um, which are a little bit of a discount compared to the not early bird prices. Mm. And there is going to be a sort of collector's tier. Ooh. Uh, okay. So I've, I've gave all my, um, my tiers like fitting name, so like the early bird PDF only is called the Eager Initiative, and then the regular PDF is the initi uh, Initiate. Uh, and then there's like the Fanatic Cultist, which is the early bird hard copy tier, and Cultist is just the regular one, but there's the Cult Magister tier, which comes with the hard copy of the book, the PDF of the book, the card deck, 
which I, I've designed a custom card deck for, for the game. You, you can play with any playing card deck, but I've made one that kind of fits the theme of the game, has similar Excellent. artwork and all that sort of stuff. We'll say we've seen a little bit of that and it does look um, amazing. Uh, that'll also include all of the digital and physical stretch goals and a set of metal pin badges, which are Ooh. pin badges that kind of reflect the four sets of the card deck, essentially. Um, for stretch goals, um, the first stretch goal that I've got here is going to be a digital and physical copy of the world map uh, for the game. Um, so it'll be an extra, like a poster size. If it's a physical one, that'll come with the book and stuff like that. Uh, Probably, uh, I had the idea of designing some extra monsters and doing extra monster art for stretch goals. Um, making the book a bit prettier and fancier was also in there, so adding like the silk ribbon and reinforced stitching and stuff like that into the spine of the book. Uh, doing an SRD for the, the system with four more generic sort of skill trades. Uh, was going to be in there uh, doing art prints of like the archetype monster art uh, and then again um, a, a dust jacket for the book so again making the physical book a little bit prettier. Um, with the PDFs and stuff are you planning any sort of um, compatibility with the online versions of like tabletop generators that sort of stuff for Roll20 um, to let people play with you know, remotely with people. The Roll Twenty is probably the easiest virtual tabletop to do because Roll Twenty actually has decent playing card features in it already. Um, I've been test playing remotely using Foundry, but it requires about twenty different mods uh, to use playing cards and stuff with Foundry. Um, but yeah, I'll probably probably look into Rule 20 uh, for an official sort of virtual release. Nice one. Um, yeah, we play with a couple of Americans, so that's always useful for us. Um, because... I was going to say, when you do Roll 20, hit me up. Definitely. Uh, I set up Roll 20 to do test plays on for it. Um, Ooh. Mostly so I could include my own custom deck cards. <laughs> um... But yeah, um, some people recommended some higher stretch goals if it goes a little bit further than that, like a, a nicer box for the card deck and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> I did that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there's a few things there. They're, none of them are hugely time consuming ones, I don't think. Because um, the, the world map. There'll probably be a version of it in the book anyway. Uh, that that stretch goal was just to have that poster size print out one. It's a little bit nicer. That's a bit of artwork. Yeah, uh, and it's art that should already be done. The extra monsters and extra monster art, that'll be a little bit of extra work, but not huge. Things like spicing the book up, making it pretty. Uh, are all just extras that the manufacturer for the, the prints deals with and shouldn't really add too much extra time. 
and again, like the art prints and stuff, it's art that should already be in the book, so it's just an extra thing to get printed, it's not really an extra thing to take up time. Like, yeah, fine. so I'm, I'm kind of hoping to have the, like the physical stuff all kind of sent out the backers and stuff of the Kickstarter successful by about March, April next year. That's quite a quick turnaround. Well, it's getting kind of, uh, <clears throat> it's getting late into things. So I think we'll start wrapping it up here. The last thing we're going to ask you is where can people find you? What socials are you on? What tags do you go by? And any closing statement? Um, I am pretty much on all the main social media sites, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. All under know. Lost Haven? All under Lost Haven art. Um, uh, and Twitch as well, Lost Haven art. Um, and yeah, normally I'm, I'm quite happy to chat to people if they message me or comment or whatever on stuff. Um, Closing statements. Um, I don't like. I don't even. I'm really bad at doing these. So I'm not like, really sure. Find me on socials is fine. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> other, other, other than like you know, thanking you guys for taking the time out on a Saturday to. No, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Like, hear me ramble about the game that I'm designing. That's, um, that's always fun. Um, but yeah, I appreciate being asked. That. Um, I know. Uh, you were interested in maybe doing a playtest at some point, and I'm happy to do that. Um, Definitely. Because um, I'm trying to pull together a, a one-shot adventure, uh, obviously for the, running at Tabletop Scotland, so it'll be nice to kind of test play that with a few different groups beforehand. We'll definitely be your guinea pig yeah, any day. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, thanks for and that has been our <laughs> And that has been our interview with Andy. <laughs>